you are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the writer and director for Shiva Baby, Emma Seligman. I think it's really great to like support females, particularly um, female entrepreneurs. Cool. The future. <laughs> great. Yeah. Awesome. Danielle! Danielle! Please, Danielle! is here and her daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Hi! Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. No funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's bi is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. You can't just, like, show up to, like, the after party for a shiva and like reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? I'm just trying to major again. Feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my career, it's a lens. Max worked for your father years ago. Really? Just try to behave yourself today. I'm not gonna blow him in the bathroom. Why do you keep looking over there? Hi, I'm Kim Beckett. I don't think she's pretty. Malibu Barbie is not pretty. I mean, she's just like basic. You are such a good kid. Danielle! Look at this Are you on drugs? No, just kidding. Is she okay? I already have a plan and a path, so. So you just study and. Uh... Don't eat and go out with your beautiful friends. Is that it? Is that your life? Yeah. Yes, that's my life. Wow, lucky you. Mom, 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 mom. Who died? This is a fantastic little film. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how you managed to take this from a pretty small short film and get it financed and transformed into a feature in the first place. Like, tell me about that journey. Yeah, that was the journey. Um, it was very anxiety inducing and um, difficult. And I, me and my producers didn't have a life for three years um, <laughs> or two years. Um, the incredible Katie Schiller, Kieran Altman, and Lizzie Shapiro. Um, well, I, you know, I had success with the short at South by Southwest in 2018, and I felt like that I'd already been writing drafts of the feature, but I think that gave us a little bit of momentum. Um, and then the three of us just sort of put our heads together and and thought that we'd be able to get it financed from like a production company that we'd we'd all collectively interned for like pretty much all of New York's indie <laughs> indie production companies and. Um, they all politely and kindly said no, but offered us good advice and and tried connecting us with other people. Um, so after a while, we were like, well, I don't know what else to do. And um, our third producer, Lizzie Shapiro, came on and she was just like, you just convince people who've never invested in film before to give you money. <laughs> so we really all just harassed everybody we knew and had ever met. We started with people who we thought had money or new people who had money, but then it just went down the line to like literally just anyone, um, <laughs> anyone who wanted to hang. Um, so it ended up being like a large collection of small investments, like a lot. Um, and uh, I think that's the way it often happens for first time indies, but it, you don't really understand it until you're on the ground being like, oh, I just have to be shameless and just really annoying and and sort of cross boundaries with everyone I know in my life um, and all of us did that and so we sort of collected money over time um, we had a couple EPs who had 
experience, but, but only one of them came in at the end. One of them there at the beginning, uh, gave us 50 K she, her name is Rhiannon Jones. And she does, um, she just does first time, second time female, uh, filmmaker Mm. projects. And, um, once we had her, we could go to everybody else who'd never done this in their life and was like, um, this is a real producer. We're not just, she didn't, we, (laughs) we didn't find her off the street. She's real. Um, do you want to, do you want to help us? Um, so that's how we got to finance, which I feel like is the bigger, bigger question of like, how did it go from short to future? Um, but I think all these other things helped along the way. Like once we started casting, we were able to sort of pick up the rest of the money slowly. And, you know, also we, we shot it in New York for like, you know, within the NYC, like, you know, stamps. So we didn't have to take anyone to set. Mm. Um, we didn't have to put anyone up, um, uh, except for Fred Malamud. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, we shot it in one house, you know, I think just picking a story that's small in scope allows it to not be incredibly, it doesn't, it makes it so that it's not impossible to finance, you know, when it's, when it's small in scope that way. So yeah, that's sort of how it happened. I was curious, is that uh, somebody's house that helped you finance the film? I know in little films like this, usually the food and, uh, you know, the set ends up being a favor from someone. So is there a funny story behind all the locks in the house? <laughs> Actually, no, that was a house we found off Airbnb. We did ask everyone we knew, but it's funny just because we're all like 20, we, at the time we were 23, turning 24, and we we didn't know anyone who owned like a house in New York, you know what I mean? None of us were from there. We had some people who were like New Jersey, but then it became another like tax credit situation. So we were like really trying to find somewhere in New York. Um, um, so we didn't have to legally have to put anyone up. Um, so we found that place off Airbnb and it was like a miracle, magical connection of crazy things. We looked at so many places and they either didn't look right or they looked okay, but didn't have enough holding. Like we were also looking for a house that like could fit like, you know, the actors in different rooms and like, you know, have good staging area for all the equipment and also like, you know, just stuff like that. And then it also like just looked gorgeous. And the homeowners were like, you want to shoot in our house? Like, (laughs) that's crazy. And we were like, Oh my God, like a yes. And we're going to try our best not to destroy it. Um, cause that's <laughs> how it works, you know, when you're trying to shoot a movie. Um, so yeah, no, it, that wasn't a favor, but it felt like a blessing for sure. Okay. So uh, one thing I was curious about is your lead actress is not in fact Jewish and Diana mm-hmm. Agron, who's referred to as the Shigsa in the film is. So tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about the decision to cast uh, a non-Jewish actress in lead role, and then have uh, Agron, on the other hand, you know, representing the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't think it was such a deliberate choice when it's put that way. I mean, Rachel was in the short film um, that this is based on, and there was just no way I wasn't going to have her in the future. I felt like she made it so much her own, but then also she became so invested in seeing the feature be made and constantly checked in and you know, helped me with my goals and like asked me how I was doing and where things were going and how she could help. She helped try to finance it as well. Um, so I just felt like there was no way I couldn't have Rachel, but knowing that she's the lead and she's not Jewish made it feel really important to me that we cast as many other Jewish actors as possible, um, even in non-Jewish roles. So I think that it just felt important to me for authenticity to like have Jewish energy on set. Um, and Diana was like so excited because she was like, I never get to be in Jewish movies. So even though her role isn't technically Jewish, she was just like, this feels so special for me. My grandma will be so happy I'm doing this. I think, <laughs> I think your grandma passed away. So she was like, she'll listen down. She's looking down being like, 
you did it because I think Diana's played a nun like three times at this point. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking she's a novitiate too. <laughs> you know, yeah. so she's like, yeah, this feels better. This feels more accurate to my sort of vibe. So, yeah. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Uh, so tell me how you got some of the bigger name actors in here, like Fred Malamad, as you mentioned. Yeah, um, we worked with an incredible casting director, Kate Geller. Um, she has been doing this for a while. She worked at a casting agency forever, but she was sort of breaking out into her own casting agent agency that she was starting. Um, and I think she was okay with taking on little projects that she believed in that she thought she could really put a stamp on. And clearly she did um, with this. Um, you know, we, everyone's always like, how did you get them? Like, did you pay them a million dollars? And I'm <laughs> like, no, um, I think I was sort of shocked to learn that, especially in the summer, especially if you can squeeze in their schedule, like, into a few days here and there, bigger actors want to work on stuff they care about or they have a connection to. Um, and Kate was really smart about trying to choose New York actors. It wasn't hard for them to get there um, who were Jewish or had a connection to Judaism or the Jewish theater scene or something um, and who were material driven and cared about making indies and cared about supporting artists. Um, so we just offered, we just offered to literally everybody except for, um, some of the smaller roles that we auditioned yeah. for, um, some of the some of the middle-aged women, uh, except for Jackie Hoffman. She only has a few lines, but I definitely offered that to her. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Um, but yeah, we just offered and people either said yes or no. And everyone who's in it said yes. Um, <laughs> and it was that it was that easy. Fred said yes without even meeting me um, and was like, okay. And I didn't meet him until we were about to shoot his first scene, like two yeah. minutes before. But Diana and Molly... Um, we're like, okay, I just want to get coffee with you first to make sure you're a normal person and see what you look <laughs> like. Um, you know, so then, yeah, it was, it was pretty simple. Uh, Polly's the only person who like was supposed to play another role. And she like, cause she's not Jewish. I was like really holding out for a Jewish actress to play the mom, but she's married to a Jew. So it's not a world that's totally unfamiliar to her. And she just sort of like wiggled her way in there. And like, uh, when I got coffee with her, she just convinced me to give her the role. And 
my casting director and producer were so mad because I we had an offer out to someone else and she was like this role was meant for me and I was like oh my god okay (laughs) (laughs) she's a force that woman um so yeah that's that's how we got everybody you mentioned that it was New York in the summer um, in a kind of cramped house. I'm assuming that got very hot and unpleasant. Are there any fun stories about just production nightmares of like being in like a humid, uh, humid, hot place like that? Um, yeah, the whole thing was a nightmare, but thankfully I didn't deal with it. It was my incredible producers that overnight I would be like, oh, there's an AC there now. Oh, okay. There seems to be a system <laughs> set up here. They just sort of kept me out of it, but Fred was like, it's too hot. And he he when he accepted the role, he was trying to figure out where we were shooting and whatever. And he goes, just so you know, I've done plenty of indies in my time in New York in the summer. It gets hot. And we were like, we've got it. We bought like four ACs for the whole house. Um, we had to buy more and we just returned them all after. And basically it was tough because we had holding for the actors upstairs. But most of the time, like all these lighting setups would be blocking the stairs and the actors didn't want to have to like go up and down the stairs. So we ended up um, creating a little holding room um, out of um, what appears to be like the kids room in the movie. We only shot one scene in that room, uh, you know, at the at, on the first day. And then after that, once Fred was like, it's too hot, I'm leaving. It's good if you don't <laughs> fix this. Um, I think my producer just figured out a way to like put four ACs in this front room so that in in sort of an enclosed porch so it's all glass you can see through it and the windows would start to frost because it was so hot where the crew was and where the cast was like hanging out was like so cold by comparison um so my producers did it and figured it out but it was it was a learning experience because at first you know each department because it's so cramped had its shit kind of everywhere like it was like okay like the you know, camera like wheelie thing is there. And then like, you know, some production design stuff sort of scattered. Every time we cleared out a room and went into another one, like stuff was always in the way. And then sort of overnight, I felt really grateful that Katie and Kieran and Lizzie, specifically Kieran was like, here's our system. Um, So yeah, but even once we figured it out, it was hot and cramped and sweaty and tough, but you know, (laughs) make do. Okay, so, and I'm sure that, added to one of the things I'm most interested in the film, which is that it is insanely anxiety inducing, like more than any horror film (laughs) I can think of in recent memory. So tell me a little bit about the camera techniques, the editing and the score that you employed to make me want to flee when watching this in a good way. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. Um, I think I just focused on um, sort of anxiety inducing movies. I didn't even think about horror movies just because I didn't think about that. I was like, oh, that's what a horror movie is, anxiety inducing, but I'm not a horror movie stand. So mm-hmm. I just didn't, I focused on Cresha, which is, um, you know, Troy Edward Schultz's first film, also based off the short. There were just so many comparisons that I was like, how did he keep us in one house in one day and not have us be like, I'm bored, you know? <laughs> so I looked to Cresha time and time again for every single stage for shooting, but also editing music for, for everything. Um, that was my main reference. Um, and then once I sort of honed in on Cresha, I started working with my DP and showing her Cresha and she'd seen it before. And then I, I showed her some claustrophobic shots from the graduate, which already was a reference sort of thematically and like, you know, sort of very similar situations. Um, but 50 years ago. Um, and, um, and then, we just started showing each other anxiety movies, like which are usually just psychological thrillers like Black Swan. And um, I watched Opening Night 
because it had a shiva scene. And I was like, I wonder how Cassavetti shoots a shiva scene. But then I didn't take from that scene at all. I took from all these lobby scenes where everyone's talking really fast and the camera's like this and um, it's all handheld. And um, so we just started going back and forth on those. And I think Maria understood what I wanted. And then she was like, let's do anamorphic lenses. And I'd never worked with them before. And she per she chose these perfect ones that like curved the frame and made it feel anxiety inducing, but it didn't yeah. make it look like a fun house, you know? Um, <laughs> like they're they're because because then you have those and you're like whoa okay yeah like, it's not like a fisheye like yeah <laughs> the whole movie's fisheye um the whole oh, thing's a nightmare God. um <laughs> i'm imagining that it. it's horrible no i mean we kind of had that in one scene but we got i feel like we worked up we worked up to that level um i hope um so we we set the tone i think with with cinematography with maria's work and then in the edit Hannah, our amazing editor, just sucked the air out of it. I think, you know, just making sure all the dialogue was overlapping, that we didn't give Danielle one second to breathe and that any pauses and ums, we just took right out. And it went from being an hour and a half, our first cut to 71 minutes, because there were some moments and lines we cut, but a lot of it was just taking out any pauses. So that I think created um, oh, yeah. <laughs> some of the anxiety. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. And then the score was just like, the thing that I like didn't realize was uh, gonna, I just didn't, I, I originally didn't know we were gonna have a score. I was like, eh, maybe. And then once we were shooting, I was like, oh no, we like need a score. This is gonna be great. And then Ariel Marks is just such a genius. And I told her I wanted anxious strings, whatever that <laughs> means, anxious klezmer strings. And she was like, so a horror score? And I was like, I guess. And once again, I was like, I don't watch that many horror movies, nothing against them. I love horror movies. I just, I'm not like, one of those horror movie nerds, um, which if you are, that's awesome. Um, so she was like, so you just want a horror score? And I was like, yeah, that makes sense when you put it that way. So that was how we came about the anxiety in every single stage. But I, I did keep bringing it back to Kresha. I showed Ariel the Kresha score. I was like this, but strings. Um, she was like, well, this is pretty scary. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's how we did it. Yeah, the the Krisha connection is wonderful. That movie also almost gave me an aneurysm. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's a good one to pull from. Awesome. I think we're almost done. But before I go, have you decided what your next project's going to be? Um, Rachel Sennett, who plays Danielle, she's also an incredible comedian and writer on top of being uh, a wonderful actor. So her and I have been writing a script for the last since we've made the short film for the last four years, that's um, a very campy, broad, um, like queer teen sex comedy. So it's very not Jewish, um, but more of Rachel's style of humor, which is which is much funnier and, and less uh, morbid um, than this movie. Uh, so that's been fun and I hope we can make that soon. That sounds great. Well, I hope everyone enjoys this. This is a wonderful debut feature and I've been showing it off to everyone. So I, uh, I'm glad you gave it to us. Thank you. All right, well, thank you so much. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the writer and director of Shiva Baby, Emma Seligman, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can let on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content plus. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.